Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. Good morning. I'm glad uh, for y'all to be here this morning. I'm glad to be here together with you as we continue our sermon series in James. Remember, it's called James, a faith that works. And that's what he's been talking about, how our faith works and how it really does work in our lives. Uh, We're almost done with the book, and I've heard a ton of feedback from you guys about the book of James, how much you've enjoyed it and how much you enjoyed going through these. And remember, we're going to try to go verse by verse through um, a couple of books of the Bible every year. So I'm glad you enjoy it because I enjoy doing it as well. Uh, Today's sermon is really a continuation about what we talked about last week. Remember last week we talked about our desire to want to make things happen and plan out our lives. James was calling out all of us or any of us who come and we worship maybe God on Sunday, but then live like there's no God for the rest of the time. We confess a God, but our lives don't uh, look like there is a God. We rather get caught up in our wants and our desires, the busyness of life, our plans, and we act like we're really in control. So James brings us down a notch and says, guys, you're not that powerful. You, you just aren't. You're not that powerful. You really can't do as much as you think you can. He said, in fact, your life is just a little, what do you call it? Remember, a mist, mist or vapor? Are you just a little vapor anyways? And then we heard him call out those who are rich, those who trust their lives and how much they have. They think there's security and gold and money or Bitcoin, whatever you're betting on right now. And he says, listen, rich is, your riches aren't something to be trusted in either. He says, if you're rich, you better use your, uh, your wealth properly. In fact, hoarding your wealth, God doesn't look upon that. Um, God doesn't like that. If you want to just spend all your wealth on you, God doesn't look on that as favorable either. You better use your wealth according to how he's called you to use that. And we learn that living a comfortable, self-centered life, which is what we all naturally want to do, isn't part of Christianity. All right? That may be the American dream to have comfort and self-centeredness, but it, It's the Christian nightmare, right? So these things that drive our culture can't drive us. And we learn that you and I, we must make a wholehearted commitment to live for Jesus Christ. What our culture tells us, what our world tells us, it will not satisfy. But rather, we need to go all in for Jesus Christ. We need to commit to him with our absolute everything, surrendering our plans to him, surrendering our lives to him, saying, Lord, it's yours, Do what you want with it. And so today, he's going to tell us how we can do that, how we can actually live for God. He's going to zero in and and talk about this key characteristic that's important for us to actually live for God. In other words, if you want to live for God, if you're claiming you live for God, this key characteristic must shine in your life. It has to be part of it. But you're not going to like it. In the same way with everything else, James is going to be right and get right to the point. He's going to remind you and me that just because we like it, just because we don't like it means nothing. There's a key character trait we all have to embrace. Today, James is going to explain to you and to me, to we, to us, he's going to explain to us that we must be patient. It got real quiet. Was that just me or did it just get real? We're like, "Uh uh-oh, patience. I know. Today, we're talking about 
patience. And remember who he's talking to. This is very important. He's talking to people who are experiencing incredible difficulties. Their lives have been turned upside down. Some of them have been inflicted because of their own sin. Have you ever been there? Have you ever got so caught up in sin and you're dealing with the consequences of it and you're just like, man, I got to get out of this. But the Lord's like, yeah, but you brought this on yourself. And you're like, yeah, but I don't want to deal with this. I can't handle this. He's like, yeah, but this is what these guys are going through. They're dealing with this. But remember, God hasn't forgotten about you. We're going to learn about that today. God's mercy and compassion is huge. God is full of mercy and compassion. But they're dealing with people who are caught up in sin. They're dealing with people um, who, well, they have a culture that favors the rich. Have you ever experienced that before? Where people who are more popular got their way or had more money, they seemed to get their way, and the people who didn't, didn't, right? He's dealing with that favoritism talking to the rich people. So their um, poor people are being mistreated and it's plaguing the church. And lastly, he's talking to people who are dealing with spiritual warfare. Remember, he's already talked about the tactics of a demon, the, uh, the demonic forces and their planes and things like that. So in other words, James is talking to us because we're still dealing with these same issues. We're still dealing with the consequences of our sin. We're still dealing with a culture that has clear and obvious favoritism for some and not for others. I mean, there's a ton of talk about that right now. And we're still dealing with spiritual warfare, with the attacks from the evil one. So James says this is how we deal with it. This is how we persevere in the faith. He says this, James 5, 7. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. So he calls us to be patient in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. Like the farmer who has to wait for his crop, we, you and me, we must live for with patient anticipation. You see, the Mediterranean farmers would have to wait. There's only two rainy seasons, like James speaks about, the autumn and the springs. Both were necessary for a good crop, but both of those rains were completely and utterly out of the farmer's hands. The only thing they could do is sit there in anticipation, praying and waiting for the Lord to bring about the rain. They couldn't do anything. Now, of course, they tilled the land. Of course, they purchased the seed. Of course, they planted the seed. But to make it actually grow, for things to actually happen, they had to wait upon the Lord. In the same way, you and I, we can never forget that God wants to produce a spiritual harvest in our lives. You and me, we will experience trials. We'll experience tribulations. Bad things are going to happen. But we have to wait for the Lord to complete his work in our lives. And I bet if you think about it, some of your greatest frustrations in life are because you're impatient. How many of us are honest and we'll say we're impatient? How many of us lie in church? Everybody else, raise your hand. All right, okay, so here we go. Yeah, all of us, we want to think ahead. We want to plan ahead. We want to get it done. We want to get everything lined up and ready to go. And when things don't work out the way we planned and the way we anticipated, we get frustrated, we get aggravated, and it's the source of so much of your stress. And when that happens and things change, we're like, God, why did you call this audible? God, why did you change everything? But the one thing we have to remember is God doesn't call audibles. God's the one who makes the plans. You must be prepared to change. You must be prepared to call an audible. Your whole life is dependent upon him. And I know that frustrates you. How, much, how many people get frustrated when the plans don't work out? 
I don't make plans, so I don't have to raise my hand. Yeah, you get frustrated, but listen, and I mean this with all love. Get over it. You're not God. It doesn't work that way. Just get over it. And this is the conversation we had last week. You're really not that powerful. You're really not in control. Like the farmer, you and me, we are utterly dependent upon the Lord to move in our lives. We have to wait for rain. When the seed sprouts, it sprouts, but we can't control those things. And most of the time we get frustrated because we're not waiting and we're not dependent upon him. We want to take charge. But rather, James says, be patient, wait upon the Lord's movement. Call upon him, seek his guidance. Instead of getting so caught up in planning and preparing and making sure everything's done right, get caught up in praying, seeking him, patiently waiting, saying, God, I'm not moving until you move. Now, that's not being lazy. That's not what that is. That's saying, Lord, I'm going to actively do nothing. And that's really hard if you're a doer. But Lord, I'm not going to do anything because I'm going to wait upon you. And I ask, are you even leaving room for God to work? Are you even leaving space in your life that if God wanted to do something, you'd allow him to do something? Are you just busy, busy, busy? And remember, we got to stop taking ourselves so serious sometimes. Because we can't thwart God's plans. He's in control. We are dependent. And sometimes we just need to wait. In fact, we are commanded to. The world's not going to fall apart if you don't have it all together. You're not going to mess up God's plans because you don't have it all planned out. He's got it. We just need to be patient and wait upon him. So James says in verse 8, he says, you too be patient and stand firm. This should be yellow. It's not. I messed up. Stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. You see, as we wait, as we're living out our patience, we stand firm in the faith. And this means we are to continue in our faith during the temptations and the trials of life. We need to be prepared, folks. We need to be prepared to deal with the temptations that are coming because they're coming. You need to be prepared to deal with the trials that are coming because they're coming. You need to be prepared in the faith. You need to be ready to deal with the struggles and difficult circumstances as we're waiting for the Lord to do the work in our lives. You see, patience isn't laziness. Patience is rather difficult. We are called to be actively, right, actively seeking the Lord, active, anticipating the Lord to work in our lives. And James says, because the Lord is coming. The Lord's coming. When was the last time you thought about the Lord actually coming back? The Lord, the gospel tells us he is coming back. And whether or not he comes in our lifetime doesn't matter. We're going to see him and meet him one day regardless. Every generation must live as if Jesus Christ could come back at any moment. Because he's either coming back at any moment or we could meet him at any moment. Because our lives are just a vapor. We're here one day and gone the next. So we stand firm in the faith. We stand firm no matter how much injustice is being done to us, no matter how, how many people have done us wrong, no matter how much active we want to get people back because we just can't handle what's going on in our lives. James says, no, 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 be, be patient because God will defend the righteous. Look at what 1 Peter says. 1 Peter 3, 9 says, do not repay evil with evil. To which we're like, I mean, I don't want to do that. 
But he tells us why, and this is the important part. This is why you don't want to take things in your own hand. This is why you don't want to get back people. This is why you don't want to stoop to their level, right? Our parents always told us, don't stoop to their level. Be above them, right? But Peter tells us why. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. You're like, are you serious? Yes, bless them. Because this is what you were called to so that you may inherit a blessing. Wait. Wait, what does that mean? That means if you stoop to their level, God's not going to bless your situation. You want God to work? Bless them when they insult you. How many of us can do that this week? At least we're honest. We're like, yeah, I don't know. But look, if you want God to work, if you want God to do something in your life, if you want God to be active, then you leave it out of your control. You allow them to do what they do, and you say, God's got me. God's got my back. He'll take care of it. Look at what Paul says in Romans 12. He said, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. We're like, yeah, but you haven't met my spouse. I know, but God knows who they are. Look, live at peace with everyone. He says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. I don't know. It command, like, I don't know how to handle this because the Bible commands us. Paul says, look, look, don't do anything. Not because they're going to get away with it. Let God's wrath do its thing. To which you're like, you mean they're not going to get away with it? Paul's like, no. They're not going to get away with it. But when you take it in your own hands, then it's done. And you aren't that powerful. You aren't that in control. He said, but rather leave room for God's wrath. It is written... Um, it, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So when we're not doing evil for evil, we're not insulting those who insult us, we're saying, all right, God, I'm going to let your wrath pour down on them people. I'm going to be good. I'm going to live at peace. I'm going to let your wrath take care of this. We're like, Brian, that's not that Christian. No, 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 but this needs to encourage you. Because people are going to do bad things. Bad things happen in this world all the time. Injustices are all around. But we need to make sure to leave room for God's wrath so we don't stoop to sin. We don't stoop to evil. We don't get to their level because we say, no, 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 we're above this. We're Christians. God will take care of it. So we patiently wait. We patiently wait for the Lord to return, for the Lord to take care of it. And not only are we patiently waiting on the Lord's return to the Lord to work in our lives and for the Lord to return, we need to be patient with other people. And this is the hard one. Look at the next verse. He said, Do not grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. You ever grumbled against somebody? Yeah, guess what's gonna happen to you? You're gonna be judged for that. I know, uncomfortable, isn't it? James does not care. He's like, this is what's going on. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Don't fuss about other people. He says the judge is standing at the door. The idea is God's coming back. Jesus is coming back. It's as if he's come back, and he's ready to judge you for complaining against other people. He said, so don't do it. Because when you and us, when we, when we are dealing with difficult circumstances, let's be honest, when we're stressed and tired, who's, it, who's the easiest per people to take our life out on? The closest ones, isn't it? Our spouse, our kids, our dog, we want to kick our dog sometimes, don't we? That thing that always, we know it'll come back. Yeah, and so James said, when you're stressed, when you're dealing with these temptations and childhood, life is thrown, it's worse. Than, don't complain. Don't take it out on everybody else. It's not going to work well. And look, this is the second time we talked about it. We skipped this verse earlier so we could come to it now, James 4. He says this. 
He says, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and the judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in the judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and one judge, but the one who is able to save you and, excuse me, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, when you were judge, who are you to judge your neighbor? You see, in both verses, he's telling us, listen, when you complain about other people, when you talk bad about other people, you are trying to be the judge. You are usurping. You are taking God's role, his role as the judge, the lawgiver. You are taking it upon yourself to be him. In other words, you're saying, God, scoot over. I got this. I know what this person needs. I understand what's wrong. They've wronged me. I'm going to take care of it. Just God, move over. I got it. To which James says, who are you? Stop. Stop talking about people. Stop talking bad about people. As Christians, remember, he's already talked to us about the power of the tongue. He's went over this over and over again. He says, you got to stop talking bad about people. Because as Christians, we are to encourage people. We are to inspire people. We are to help people. We are to speak life into people. James has been rather clear. We are to build people up. That's what we are to be known for. Building people up in the faith, not tearing them down. And not everybody's going to be the same. Not everyone's going to act the same. We all come different upbringing, different places. And so James is saying, stop trying to be the judge. Stop pushing God over thinking you know, because you don't. You aren't that smart compared to God. You aren't in control. You aren't that powerful. So shh. So what he's telling us, quiet. Or God's going to judge you. And you don't want that. You see, patience in the context of one anotherness means we need to move at the pace of other people. We need to be considerate and kind to how fast other people move, how slow other people move, what they understand, what they don't. And you need to move at their pace. You need to create space to help other people along. Because we are not the judge. And now he gives us examples of patience. He says this in verse 10, 510. He says, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And that's the radical different part. When James gives us an example of patience, he tells us about the prophets, the people who suffered a lot for the name of Jesus Christ. You see, doing God's will can and will often put you right in the midst of suffering right in the midst of trials, right in the middle of difficulties. We think that if I'm in God's will, life must be easy, it must be breezy, comfortable. James says, no. You need the patience of a, pros- a prophet. And Jesus told us about this. This isn't a bait and switch type of thing. Look what Jesus says in Matthew. He says, next verse. Never mind. I don't have it up there. That's on me. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24, says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Right? You remember that? The self-denial taking of a cross? This is what Jesus said from the very beginning. If you want to be his follower, you better be willing to suffer. You better be willing to walk through these things. And so take the prophets as an example. Think of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the foreigner of Jesus, spoke against the evil of his day. And what happened to him? He was beheaded. He lived in the wilderness, didn't live a life of luxury at all. But he was right in the center of God's will. Think of Elijah, 
Remember him in the Mountain and Valley series? That man was constantly depressed, scared for his life. Although he did great things for the Lord, he had a ton of emotional issues and problems. But he was extremely bold in the face of wickedness, and that led him to being fed by birds living in the wilderness. Do you remember that? That doesn't sound like a life luxury at all, does it? But patience. Think of Jeremiah, who was considered a traitor by his own people when he was just speaking for the Lord. He was speaking what the Lord asked him to speak, and so they threw him in an abandoned well so he would die. You ever felt like that? You ever tried to help somebody so much and they just you felt like they threw you in a well? Metaphorically? What actually happened to him? Not metaphor. They literally threw him in a well to die because he was speaking for the Lord. This is how James encourages us. Be like them. Be patient. Wait. You're going to have to deal with some things. Be patient. You see, the prophets both endured suffering. They spoke against injustice, but also faced injustice. And the Bible tells us that when we, we can fight these things. We can speak against these things. We can boldly compl- um, proclaim when things are wrong. But does that mean it'll be easy for us? No. Be patient then, like the prophets. You see, sharing our faith will cost us something. Our culture's changed. It won't cost us our life yet, but it'll cost friendships. It'll cost the way people look at you. It'll cost, it's starting to cost something now. So just being bold enough to share your faith will cost. Are you willing to pay that price? Are you willing to be bold for Jesus? Douglas Moo says this. He says, doing God's will, James is suggesting, will often lead to suffering. What is needed is a willingness to bear up under the suffering, maintaining spiritual integrity and waiting patiently for the Lord himself to intervene to transform the situation. We just say, Lord, you got to show up. Lord, I can't do this without you. Look what he says in verse 11, James 5:11. Says, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. Persevered through what? Remember that suffering? You have heard of Job's perseverance. We're like, uh-oh. I know, these are his examples. Of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. You see, this gives us some insight to what blessing or being blessed is. It speaks to our relationship with God. Those who persevered are blessed. Those who stay in the faith are blessed. And this is the thing about uh, patience. This is the thing about standing firm in our faith. We are to stand firm. We are to persevere rather than walk away. And you and I have both met people, we know people, who've walked away from it all when it got hard. They thought somehow on their own they were going to make it better. Dealing with them by themselves, they were going to fix it. James says, no, stand firm, stay in there, like Job, keep going on, because all of us will deal with hardships, we'll all deal with difficulties, but it's when we stay with the Lord, we will see him show up, he will fix that, he will deal with that, he will intervene for you on your behalf. You see, our relationship with God is the most important thing in our lives, and it's through difficulties we will often draw closer to him. Or it's through those difficulties you'll walk away. And if you're one of those who walk away, I just have news for you. And I'm being honest because I love you. You don't have strong faith. It's in those trials and temptings. If you were tempted to walk away from God and his people, if you were just out there doing it on your own, you're too busy, you got too much going on, listen, you need to really think about, do you know Jesus? Because it's during those difficult times we draw to him, we fall at his feet, we say, God, I can't do this. God, you got to show up. God, I need you. 
pride tells us, you got this. You don't need anybody. Out there on your own. Faith draws us to him to be close. And he said, blessed are those who persevere. Blessed are those who persevere. God will show up. Remember, rewards are part of what the gospel promises us. Look at what Jesus says in Revelation 22, one of the last sections of scripture. Revelation 22, 12 through 13. This is what Jesus says. He says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha, the Omega. Don't they give you chills just thinking about it? I love this. I am the Alpha, Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Thank goodness he is. Praise God he is. He is everything. Jesus will reward us so we keep persevering. Look at what he says again, James 5.11. He says, as you know, we count it as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance, and let's catch up to make sure we know who Job is. Because it seems strange to use Job as an example. Remember, he lost just about everything. He lost his children. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. In a very short period of time, his entire life was turned upside down. Do you remember what he, what he was able to keep? A nagging spouse and a bunch of friends who said, it must be your fault, Job. Like not one encourager was around. He lost all the good stuff. God left him with the, you know, negative type of people. And he seems strange because all throughout his book, he's complaining to the Lord. He's fussing to the Lord. He's shouting out in anguish the whole time. But yet he's still a person we have right here who's commended for his perseverance and faith. And we're like, how is that possible? Because all of his complaints and all of his fussing were towards whom? God. He's still in the faith. He still was hanging in there. He was just being honest and vulnerable and raw with the Lord. And that's okay. Read the book of Psalms. If, if, you, if you have trouble talking with the Lord, if you wonder what's good etiquette, what's not good etiquette, I mean, how do, how do I work through this? Read the book of Psalms where people are just pouring out their heart to them. They're just being raw and vulnerable and saying, Lord, here I am with all the nastiness inside of me. Take it. And the Lord works through that. So even though he complained, even though he was bitter, he never abandoned the faith. He never walked away. He stand firm. So that's what we're called to do, to continue to allow God to do his work. Whatever you're dealing with, continue in the faith, stand firm, allow God to do his work. Because you, me, we were not promised prosperity here. The prosperity, gar um, the prosperity gospel, as they call it, is garbage that were promised health and wealth in this world, we're, we're not at all. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel tells you you will have to endure suffering, but God will make it right one day. The gospel tells us bless those who are poor and commands the, the rich they better deal with their money wisely. The gospel tells us that life is short. We're not promised tomorrow, but we can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. The gospel tells us we will en en endure hardships and suffering for Jesus. The world's not going to be fair. Righteous people will deal with a lot of injustices. It's true. But we have a God who sees your situation, who knows what you're going through, and will transform it one day. It may not be here, but he will intervene. You will be rewarded. You see, all of us will face suffering in this world. None of us are immune from it. All of us are going to get sick. All of us are going to lose, lose loved ones. 
all of us are going to, well, a lot of us have be like Job where just crazy stuff happens. And we can't figure out why in the world the Lord's asking us to go through it or what we did to deserve it. Be comforted that Job didn't deserve it or earn it. It's just what he went through. It's just what his, the Lord brought him through. But we have to keep the faith. We have to endure. We have to allow God to produce that harvestness of righteousness. To bring about those things, those character traits he wants to be developed. Moose says this. He says, your present suffering, James would be saying, is not the end of the story. Do you believe that? It's not the end of it. Who's the end? Jesus is. He says, I am the beginning and the end. What you're going through, what you're dealing with, that tragedy, that hurt, this, it's not the end of the story. God will transform your situation for the good when Christ is revealed in glory. He's coming back, folks. He'll fix it and make it right. You see, heaven isn't on this earth, although we long for it. We long for the day where our suffering's over, where our pain's over. We long for a better world. In fact, we're called to make the world better. That's the tricky thing as Christians. We're called to make the world a better place, knowing we'll never make it the best place. This isn't heaven. This isn't the end. Heaven and earth will be combined one day. That's later on. That's not now. But we still do gospel work, and we still go out and do good things. So we keep plowing ahead. We, keep, we let, allow those natural longings for the world to be better, for those injustices to be dealt with. We allow those things to let the gospel work in our lives, through our lives, to help people know Jesus Christ. But those longings that we have for a better world or better things, that, those longings is what, in fact, helps C.S. Lewis really think through the gospel and the impact of how true it actually is. Look at this quote. It's probably one of the longest ones I've ever showed, but it's... Don't worry, it's two pages of this, okay? But it's really good, so hang in there with me. He says, the Christians say, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger, well, there's a such thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, duckling. When was the last time you said that word? It's pretty nifty, isn't it? Duckling, every time I read it, it just makes me smile, okay. A duckling wants to swim, where there's a such thing as water. Men feel sexual desire, where there's a such thing as sex. If I find myself in a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only arouse it to suggest the real thing. Pause. Don't go on yet. Go back. Go back one. Okay, never mind. But we'll pause right there. Oh, yes, here we are. All right. Only arouse it to suggest the real thing. This is what some of us are doing. This is our problem. We're never satisfied. We're never happy. We're looking for something that doesn't exist. We look for something to be perfect. For instance, how many of y'all have looked for a perfect church? How many of y'all have found it? Yeah, you're here. It's not perfect anymore. You just ruined it, right? (laughs) Right. The idea of this perfectness that we long for, it doesn't exist here. The perfect spouse? Only Jessica has that. She, yeah, okay, she's smiling. Whew. Yeah, it, it doesn't exist. We long for these things. The perfect kids, they don't exist. What we're longing for, that perfect person, is Jesus. All those longings, 
All of us have them. We try to satisfy them here, and they don't work, so we go to the next job or the next career or the next person or the next church, and we think everything is wrong with everybody else because we have it all together. But the gospel says, no, 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 you're not going to find it here. Those longings need to point you to something greater than you, something better than you, which is Jesus Christ, and that's what he's saying. Only arouse to suggest the real thing. Next slide. He said, if that is so, I must take care on one hand to never despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings. And on the other, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. And it's in your sufferings and it's in your pain. Those desires are made alive and they're made real. And you know what you desire and you know what you want. But the problem is you're not going to find it here. You'll find it for a season and then it's gone. Only Christ will truly satisfy Heaven and being with God is what we were made for, that pure relationship, not a world full of sin. We long for that, so we must continue to press on. Allow that, those trials, those sufferings, those temptations, to point us to the better place with glory with our Lord. That's what we need to embrace, that Jesus Christ is coming back. Or we will go to be with him. Either way, we're going to meet him. So in the meantime... You and me, we must live with patient anticipation. Patient anticipation. Like the farmer, you have to know that God is not done with you. He is full of compassion. He is full of mercy. Know that he's working for good in your life, but you must wait for him. We must not get ahead of, ahead of him, ahead of ourselves. We must anticipate. We must wait and say, God, I know you're going to show up. God, I know you're going to move. I know you're going to do something. I'm waiting, Lord. I'm here, Lord. I'm standing firm in the faith, but Lord, you got to show up. And you may be facing ridiculous circumstances. The Lord will make it right one day. Don't lose faith. Keep pressing on. Stand firm. He's forging something in you, developing a character trait in you that nothing else could develop. He's working through. He's working in you. Stand firm. He will use that for his good and for his glory. Don't give up. Like the prophets, what you're going through probably isn't fair. You're right. But life isn't fair. So stand firm. Seek your Savior, his mercy, and his strength. You're not alone. You're loved. You're valuable. You're important. And Christ is right there waiting for you. Become farsighted. Stop looking at your immediate. Look towards what's ahead. Look at that day. Allow those, those longings that you have, the perfection that you have, those expectations you have that you won't find here. Just you won't. Just allow them to point you to where you will see it, to where you will experience the perfect Savior, the perfect person, the perfect place. All that is coming. So allow those desires to point you to ahead. Because Jesus is coming back to rescue us, to save us. So live with patient anticipation. And then last, I ask you, be patient with others. Let's remember, we're not God. We're not the judge. 
we are called to love others and build people up in the faith. Let's put aside the negativity. Let's put aside the selfishness. Even though you deserve it and you're good, I know, just let God deal with it. Does this mean we don't hold people accountable? Well, of course you hold people accountable. That's not what he's saying. He's saying be patient. Don't get frustrated. Understand people are different. Don't complain. Don't take all those things out in the world that you're dealing with. Don't take them out on your kids. Don't take them out on your spouse. Don't yell at your coworkers because your spouse isn't working out well, right? We want to take all this. He said, no, no, be patient. Slow down. Let God move. Give people grace. Give people grace. And can you imagine with me for a moment if we did these? Could you imagine if you embraced with your life what James is calling us to and you were actually patient? Could you imagine how much safer 501 would be? Right? Could you imagine if just Christians, if we embraced patience, can, we, uh, can you imagine if you lived with patient expectations that God was going to show up in your life? That you knew he was going to show up instead of getting depressed, instead of being stuck in your head, instead of worrying, anxiety. What if you just waited with anticipation? Oh, this is horrible. But God's going to show up. This is, this is ridiculously difficult. But God's going to show up. I can't wait. It's going to be amazing. That's called faith, isn't it? Because you don't really know if it's true at that moment. But you just said, hey, I, I know God's got this. And what if you just let go of those frustrations and anxiety, all that playing and control, and just let God take care of it? You could then live with the peace the Bible calls us to, a peace that surpasses all understanding when you just give it to God. Devote yourself to him and his plans and his will. Can you imagine how much better your relationship would be with other people if you were patient, if you were kind, if you were gentle? If we stop feeling frustrated because we feel like we owed so much, isn't that when we lose our minds? Isn't that when we start getting angry and snap, when we feel like we're owed something? What are we called to do if we're owed something? What's that word Jesus calls us to do? Forgiveness. Right? That's what we do. You're owed something, forgive. Be patient. He's given us everything to deal with these emotions we have. But can you imagine if we realize that other people are flawed human beings and they're loved and cherished by God just like you? And we have to stop expecting perfection. We have to stop expecting people to get it right all the time because they won't. And so we live with patience. We slow down. We move at their pace. We forgive. We give grace and realize that we are on a journey together trying our best to follow Jesus. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the difference this would make? I suspect, I suspect we'd see a movement of God like never to before because that's what the prophets experienced when they patiently waited on the Lord. God showed up, and when he did, it was something they could have never produced or never did. And that's why you and I, we are called to patience because we want God to show up. Let's not get ahead of him. Let's allow him to move. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we, we want you to move in our lives. We know we are all impatient people, believing we know what's best for our lives, our kids' lives, and everything, Lord. But you are God, we're not. So, Father, like the farmer, we submit to your leadings and guidance in, in our lives. We make room for you to work. Like the prophets, we understand we're going to face suffering trials. 
Lord, we know you're going to show up and show off. God, we want to see a movement of you working in our lives and in our church. So God, we're making room for you. We want you to move so we will live with patient expectations. Show us where we're getting ahead of you. Call us to slow down. And Lord, we just ask you to make that clear so we can do it. Father, we admit we're not as patient with others as we need to be. Forgive us for that. We know you're patient with us. We know you're full of compassion and mercy. Father, help us build those characteristics in our lives. All for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.